and welcome to the first episode of Felonious, a podcast where we discuss the realm of true crime. From chilling cold cases to the wild and wacky, we'll explore it all with a perfect blend of seriousness and humour. My name is Emma. And I'm Nazia. We are two lifelong friends originally from the UK, but we Brexited and moved to Europe. We're going to be mostly discussing cases that have happened outside of the UK and the US. So to keep up to date with what's coming up, be sure to follow us on Instagram at felonious.pod and visit our website feloniouspod.com. We hope you enjoy this episode, so let's get to it. That's that done. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty easy. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get used to that and then it's just going to naturally roll off our tongues. Yeah. This is our first introduction to our brand spanking new podcast. I know. I know. Let's try and not fuck it up now. (laughs) The pressure's on. (laughs) What got you interested in true crime? Uh, Do you want me to start? (laughs) Yeah, go on. You can can start this one off. (laughs) I don't know about you, but uh, a feature of my childhood was crime. (laughs) No, um, my parents used to watch uh, Crime Watch. Yeah. Um, this is like a, for people that don't know, it's a UK 90s. It started off in the, maybe it started off in the 80s, but I remember it being in the 90s because that's when I started life. That's when we started watching TV. Yeah. And yeah, they would always have it on in the evening right before I was about to go to bed. And the theme tune on that show is like one of the scariest theme tunes. I can't remember it. I remember the show, but I can't remember the theme tune. Oh, I'll send you a YouTube video after the recording. Yeah. And, and then you'll have it stuck in your head as well. Thanks. <laughs> but um, yeah, wh- whenever I used to walk home uh, from the tube station in Barking, um, that song used to be in my head. <laughs> That's very appropriate. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, for people that don't know, Barking is... A shithole. I mean, to be fair, back then, it wasn't as bad as it got later on. Yeah, pre, pre-noughties, pre it was pretty good. It was sound. But, it just went um, downhill. Yeah. 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 And then, of course, Giordando, one of the presenters of that show, was murdered. Yes, she was, wasn't she? Yeah, and that's still an unsolved case as well. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I think I, I remember hearing about her death and then nothing else. So I didn't realise that that was unsolved. Yeah, apparently there's going to be a Netflix documentary about that coming up as well. Of course. So of looking course. forward to watching that. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Also, I used to read the local newspapers a lot. And the only section that I would really read is the local crime section. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know why, I just did. I just, I I like to know what was going on in the area that was bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've known you for how many years and I'm only just finding out this dark side. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many new things to me, Nazia. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, I I, I vaguely remember um, Crime Watch, but... I don't remember the theme tune. I can't remember if I watched it, but I used to watch shows like that. There was another one like nine 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 something. Nine nine nine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like all these 
accident and incident show. Yeah, that used to have a scary theme tune as well. That used to keep me up at night. 90s TV in Britain was something else. It really was. But yeah, I think I've, I've, I guess I have always had an interest in true crime. Like I'll always watch um, a documentary uh, and even like adaptations of things just out of interest. Um, And then probably not a good time, but when I was pregnant last year, I was listening to so many true crime podcasts. I can't get enough of true crime podcasts. I know, but I was just thinking, I don't know if I should be listening to this while I've got an innocent human being growing inside me. And what didn't help was um, early on in my pregnancy, I was still running and I'd run in the forest, but I'd listen to a podcast on the way to the forest and it will be about some serial killer that took his victims to the woods and did whatever to them. So then I'd just like pause the podcast and I'd do my run in the forest. And then when I came out of the forest, then I'd put it back on because I just felt, I felt even more unsafe listening to a true crime podcast while running in the forest. Yeah. Nothing like running through the scenery. Yeah. Yeah. To a true crime podcast. I, I don't know if there's been any any um, crime or make big crimes that have been committed in the in the forests around me, not that I know of. Yeah, same here. Oh well, last year there was a a woman that got murdered in a forest near me. Gosh, but it's it's very very rare. It doesn't yeah. happen a lot. Thank God. Uh, yeah. Uh, whereas where we came from in Barking, that's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> It's like that um, grinder case you told me about. I, I completely did not know about that. Ah, oh, no, you do. Yeah, well, that'll be interesting to... Yeah, we're going to hopefully cover that as a case sometime in the future. Yeah, we're not sure when, but at some point. We've got a list. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, we have a list as long as my arm. Li- literally. It does keep, we do keep adding to it, um, but I guess, you know, that's a nice segue into the topics that we are hoping to cover in the future. Um, Yeah. It's not all going to be gory serial killers. There's going to be some other topics that we'll hopefully cover as well, won't there? Yeah. Some exciting heists. (laughs) Yeah. Some crazy, crazy cults. Yeah. Unsolved mysteries, maybe like um, that presenter of Crime Watch. Yes. And false imprisonments, cyber crimes, and fraudsters. So we're hopefully going to cover quite a mix. Yeah. But yeah, we've got a list and it's growing faster than we are producing this podcast at the moment. <laughs> but it's fine. It, it means we've got, we're, we're going to keep ourselves busy. Yeah. And, and that's important. That's a good thing. Yeah. Right. So, should we go on to the case that we're going to discuss today? Yeah. Let's get started. Cool. So, in this episode, we're going to take a look at the ruthless and seductive Charles Sabraj. Ooh. 
Yeah, so he was a notorious serial killer linked to over 20 deaths of young travellers on the hippie trail in Southeast Asia in the 1970s. He's known to be the serpent or the bikini killer. Obviously, they did the Netflix show a couple of years ago, which was a dramatisation of his uh, crime committed in Thailand and Nepal and India. But in this episode, we're going to discuss his childhood, his early criminal acts and his relationship with his first wife, Chantal Compagnon. Isn't that a mushroom? No, it's close. Oh, okay. (laughs) All all French words sound the same to me. There's, yeah, learning the French language is a a headache because there's a lot of similar words and there's different rules and then they break the rules and there's like a million silent letters. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll try not to butcher the French language, but I'm supposed to be the better one at speaking French out of us too. Yeah. <laughs> so don't have, your, don't have high hopes. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we'll give it a go. So one of the reasons, as mentioned, we're covering this case because of the serpent. Um, and that's how we both heard about Charles Sabraj, wasn't it? Just by watching the Netflix show. Yeah, right. Um, I Yeah, I'd never heard of this guy before then. I'd never read anything about him, seen any like documentaries about him. Uh, and surprisingly, well, not surprisingly, he's been released from prison and he's now back in France. Um, so he was released at the end of last year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we decided to cover him because he's, you know, back in France. Um and upon researching him, we've discovered there's so much more to his story than the, the TV show depicts. Yeah. So we've been reading books like The Life and Crimes of Charles Sabrash. So uh, that's by Richard Neville and Julia Clark. And that really goes into the, the history of the guy, doesn't it? Yeah. And um, so that, that one's based on alleged confessions. Yes. From Charles, but you will go into it later on. Um, but he kind of changes his mind on aspects of the story of his story, doesn't he? Yes, once once he's um, arrested and and then the other one that we we've been reading is the Hawk and Hyena by Farouk Dondi, which you found that book, didn't you? Yeah, I found it by accident. I was just basically going on my deep dive Google searching. Um, like I often do. And um, his name just popped up and there was a YouTube video of him having an interview with some other guy and he mentioned Charles Sabrage and then I saw that he had a book out about about him as well. So, But, but that's um, post-1997, isn't it? So we'll cover that. We'll cover that in, a, a later, in the later parts of this episode. There were a couple of other books that we've kind of briefly been researching as well. So there was Je Reviens by Marie Leclerc, um, which she writes, I think after she's released from prison and that gives her side of the story. So we'll talk more about that in a later episode as well. Um, And then uh, Charles himself, he's released his own autobiography called Moi le Serpent uh, or The Serpent, which I haven't read. But again, it's just him giving his side well, one side of his story. Yes. I mean, he's he's told so many sides of his story. Yeah, he's changed details quite often. 
And because of the time that these crimes took place, um, there's not a lot of evidence to say, you know, to know how much of it is true or how much of it, you know, he's, he's lying about. But we'll get into that as we go through each event. Yes. We should probably just mention a disclaimer. A disclaimer alert. Disclaimer alert. Yeah. Trigger warning. Well, there's not too many triggers in this episode. No, but there probably will be quite a lot of swearing. Probably some gruesome details. And <laughs> a lot of bad French on my part, not so much nausea's. A lot of bad English, probably. And Cockney accents. Yes, especially when I get riled up and angry, the the Cockney in me comes out. Apparently, yeah, you, you just can't let it, you know, get the better of you. Know, so you got you got to control that Cockney accent. Oh, no, I've got got to tone it down. But yeah, I th- I think it's worth also clarifying that we're not experts, and we're definitely not celebrating uh, the individual committing the crime. We just enjoy discussing crime. Yeah, we're not taking the mick out of any of the victims at all. We have full respect for the victims and their families. Yeah, definitely. So, shall we begin? Let's start. So, in 1944, on the 6th of April, Charles Sabraj was born in Saigon, which was the French Indochina. It's now known as Ho Chi Minh of Vietnam. His mother was a Vietnamese lady called Noi. And his father was Indian. In the Neville book, he's called Hochand. But in the Hawkan Hyena, they give him a different name. I'm not sure why. But in, in the Neville book, he's referred to as Hochand. So we'll, we'll refer to him as that. Hochand was a tailor shop owner and a moneylender. When Charles was born, he was originally named Gurmuk, but he was later christened as Charles after the president, Charles de Gaulle. When Noi met Hachand, she was a teenager, and when she gave birth to Charles, she was just 20 years old. At that time, there was conflict between the Viet Minh guerrilla campaign and the Japanese occupation forces. Viet Minh took over, but were later cleared by the British and French forces. In 1945, when Charles was just a year old, one day Noi was walking along the street with him near the river when they were both abducted by two men from the Bin Suyen gang and thrown into a boat. Kidnappings at that time were very common as the gang were allied with Viet Minh and they would use the ransom money from the kidnappings to go towards the guerrilla campaign. After the kidnapping, the gang approached Hachand for, for the ransom However, he had quite good connections with the Japanese army. So when he went to meet the gang, they were ambushed by Japanese soldiers and Noi and Charles were returned to Hochand. I was going to say he didn't um, have to pay the ransom at all then. No, no. So he got away with it thanks to his connections. After Viet Minh installed themselves as a government, the British arrived back with Indian Gurkhas and Gaulist French. During the conflict at this time, Noi would often wrap Charles up in a blanket and place him under a wardrobe until the bombing stopped. In 1947, Ho Chand went to India and married an Indian girl. Up until this point, Noi was basically his mistress. When he married the Indian girl, Noi was actually pregnant with their second child, which was a daughter named Nicole. She left Ho Chand and met Jacques Roussel who was a sergeant from Bordeaux. They got married a year later in 1948 and they all went to live with Jacques in the French barracks, which was a massive contrast to 
the life that Hachand was living because Hachand was quite wealthy and he lived a life of luxury, whereas I imagine the barracks were quite basic in comparison. Yeah, they would probably have to share things with other families. It, was, it would have been like military settings, basically. Jax was posted back to Marseille, so Noy went with him. However, she left Charles with Hachand. In 1951, Noi and Jax returned to Vietnam with their two children and a third on the way. At this point, Charles was seven years old. While living with Hachand, his wife didn't want anything to do with Charles, so he, left, he spent a lot of time with street kids and basically lived a life of anarchy. Noi wasn't happy about this, so she took Charles into her custody and took him back to the French barracks. There was one afternoon when Noy took Charles to the cinema. He begged to go to a different one, so she agreed and they went. When they came out from watching the film, they saw that the cinema that they were supposed to go to had been bombed. But it wasn't the first time that Charles had seen the effects of the conflict in Vietnam. There were times where, I think there was another occasion where he was walking down the street and there'd been a bombing, so he saw loads of dead bodies just strewn across. Yeah, it was the marketplace owner, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so at quite a young age, it's, uh, you know, he's got both the conflict in his country and then the conflict in his home where he's, like, changing uh, homes. So it's quite an unstable start to life. Charles missed his father, Hochand, and ran away a number of times Noi tried to stop him by tying him to his bed and would sometimes leave him tied up for days just to kind of reinforce the punishment. Yeah. I mean, isn't he being punished enough? Yeah. I, uh, to be fair to her, she's got how many kids? Five kids now. So she's got a lot on her hands. <laughs> Not saying what she did was right. And there's conflict going on. So there's probably twofold. She's trying to keep him under control while dealing with all the other kids, but she might also be trying to keep him safe because he's trying to run away in the middle of warfare. Yeah. And also he's, you know, running away to his dad um, when he should be living with her and um, Jack in, in the barracks. In 1953, Jack was granted home leave. So they all went back to France, including Charles, even though he didn't want to go because it meant he was, he was nowhere near his biological father. However, a few months later, Jax was ordered back to Vietnam. At this point, Charles was nine and Nicole was seven, and they were both left behind in boarding schools in France. Charles developed a bedwetting problem, which Noy tried to deal with by tying a piece of string around his penis. Yikes. Don't know, don't know how effective that is. Yeah, I'm sitting cross-legged right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, he was... He had psychological evaluations, didn't he? And they said because of his insecurities, until they're resolved, he's still going to wet the bed. And she just wasn't happy with that advice or diagnosis. So while he was in boarding school, Charles experienced racism. And to make matters worse, he had to spend his summer holiday there. The next year in 1954, Noé returned to France and took Charles to live with her, Jacques and all the other children. He still wanted to be with his father, so she told him that he was dead just to put the matter to bed. She didn't want to deal with it anymore. Then in 1957, Jacques was given an administrative posting in Dakar, Senegal. Noy had seven children by then. 
Jax was also suffering from PTSD from the war and Noi had started a gambling habit. I was reading up about PTSD around that time and it was because of the Second World War, it was becoming, people were becoming more aware of it. And I think it did kind of catalyze a lot of treatment methods for it, I guess, because so many soldiers were suffering from it. But it's never said in the book what sort of treatment Jack was receiving um, for his PTSD. So while they were in Dakar, Charles began stealing things like sweets, pastries and toys. On one occasion, his siblings tried to steal like he did from a local shop, but they were caught when he took them. He took the sweets home and they all gorged on them when they got home. And, they, you know, there was no evidence. But when his siblings did it, they, they were leaving a Hansel and Gretel trail eating their sweets on the way home. So the shop owner found the trail, which led right back to their house. I can just <laughs> imagine the shop owner, like, following the trail and picking up, like... Sweet wrappers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So because they were caught, Noi whips them as punishment. But the funny thing is, she, she then tells them, next time you do something to, like this, make sure your brother is with you. <laughs> yeah, right. Not, not to like, don't do this at all. So in 1959, Charles was enrolled in orientation college. His grades were poor. And at the age of 15, he was in classes with 12-year-olds. Jackson found him a job as an apprentice mechanic in a friend's garage, but Charles was soon fired because, and this is a quote from the book, he reversed the wires on the electrical transformer and almost burned down the building. His stepfather was quite understanding of um, why he was fired at that point. Charles found out at the same time that Noy was having an affair and this made him hate his stepfather even more because Jax was very tolerant of it. Charles also didn't believe that Ho Chand was dead, so he decided to try and run away to Vietnam. He had planned to slip on board a boat to Marseille, but then saw there were Senegalese policemen checking each passenger. Jax had already reported him missing, so Charles spent a few days on the beach with the plan to build a raft. However, I think he, he lost his motivation at some point, and then Jax found him a few days later on the beach. He felt... Oh no, he didn't fall asleep, did he? No, that was at a later point, I think. Jacques then found Charles a job at a restaurant, but a few weeks later, he was posted back to France. So Charles stopped working. When they returned to France, Charles was then sent to an agricultural college in Mirana, which was over 100 kilometres away from Marseille. The boarding schools wouldn't accept him as he was still wetting the bed. The head teacher at this college sympathised with Charles and asked his parents for Ho Chan's address. Noi just wanted to protect Charles from the truth that his biological father didn't want anything to do with him and her and Jax didn't appreciate the head teacher getting involved in their family affairs. So in um, 1960, Ho Chan had nine children at this point. Yeah. From two wives. Charles has got a big family. He has. Like a lot of step-siblings. Yeah, that's a lot of Christmas cards. Yeah. Charles still wanted something to do with his, his father back in Saigon. He still wanted to, to see him and he, he was still very much in love with him, wasn't he? Yeah. So he, he tries to run away again and this time he takes a 14-year-old companion, uh, Michelle, and they managed to board a boat going to Djibouti and they hid on a lifeboat on, on the actual boat and Charles told Michelle, I'll stay here, I'll, I'll go and see what's, what's happening on the boat. 
And he just starts mingling with everyone on board and starts eating in the restaurants and talking to all the other kids on board as though he was like a first class passenger. Yeah, he was he was like living the life of a first class passenger while his poor mate was on the lifeboat. I can't imagine what his poor mate was doing. At the age of 14. Yeah. Yeah. They were able to walk off the boat in the end when it docked in Djibouti because passports weren't required, so there were no checks or anything. When they were in Djibouti, they managed to find this photography studio that was owned by a Vietnamese family and Charles spun them the whole story about his family situation and they felt sorry for him. So they got them food and um, were being really nice to them. And the next day... Michelle tries to do the same thing with a Frenchman who owned a a restaurant. The manager wasn't having any of it. He was like, no, I don't believe you. (laughs) He calls the police who knew about the missing boys anyway. So they came to get Charles and Michelle. Jacques is very defeated by Charles's behaviour at this point. And so he he decides to write to Hochan to see if he would take Charles back. But Hodgson replied to say that he would be visiting Paris at the end of the year and he would settle the matter then. Then in 1961, he actually does visit Paris and saw Charles for the first time in 10 years. He wasn't happy about the fact that Charles was working as a kitchen hand in a restaurant and agreed to take Charles back to Saigon. He made arrangements for Charles to get a passport, but it didn't arrive in time before Hodgson had to leave. So he promised to send a ticket in the post. And when Charles received his passport, he started to worry that that Hodgson had forgotten his promise because it had been a long time, hadn't it? Yeah. One thing I was thinking about was, you know, Hodgson only agreed because Charles was working in quite a low position at a restaurant. So it's almost like more to do with the family dignity than actual love for his son. Yeah, it's... It's all about status, isn't it? Yeah, because he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not having my son work as a, a sous chef or whatever it was. But the fact that Charles has been had been trying to run away for however many years, and this is what it took for Hochan to actually agree to take him back. Yeah, he didn't appreciate the fact that his son just wanted to see him. Yeah, Charles decided to try and buy himself a ticket at this point, but he needed money, and he he read in the local newspapers about housewives being targets for burglaries. So he decides to buy a gun with his money that he already had. And he went to a suburb near Choisy... I'm sorry. (laughs) My French. Choisy le roi. (laughs) Thank you. Where he he knocked at an apartment, pretended to check the meter. So he's pretended to be an engineer, electrical engineer. And the occupant inside... She was pregnant and she also had another child in another room in the apartment. So she lets him in and he threatened her and demanded all the money that she had. So Charles stole her purse and only went home with 70 francs. Yeah. And at the time he was like, just before he went into that apartment or when he was doing committing the robbery, he, he gave himself a bit of a talking to. Because he almost, he was struggling to go through with it, wasn't he? Yeah, he had to encourage himself. Yeah, I mean, it's his first crime, well, apart from stealing the sweets in Senegal, but it's his first sort of crime where there's a gun involved or some sort of threat involved. Yeah, and he was easily able to get the gun from, I think it was a hunting shop. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't have to produce any licence or any idea at that point. 
No, and he's he's still just a kid then as well. Yeah. So um, two days later, he decided to repeat the crime. And his next victim was a, a woman with a six-year-old who ran out screaming, unsurprisingly. And Charles fled, but he was caught by the police and taken to the police station. He begged for forgiveness and the victim withdrew her complaint. When he did beg for forgiveness, he was in a room with Noy, Jacques and the victim and Noy encouraged him to beg for forgiveness. So it wasn't his decision to do that. No. He was forced into doing that. Yeah, he was told off basically by his mum. A few days later, he was taken to the police again and Jacques was like, what, what have you done this time? Yeah. So he, he was brought in front of a judge for the first robbery, so the, the robbery against the pregnant housewife. Jacques commented, uh, this is from the book, if you wanted to go so badly, I would have paid for the ticket. So he would have paid for the ticket to Saigon. Yeah. Two days later after that, Noy visited Charles in jail and she explained that Jack had a, a nervous breakdown and that he wasn't doing too good at all and that he would be in hospital for the rest of his life. At that point, Charles realised that Jacques did actually care for him and he was probably the only person to do it at that point. Yeah, I think he realised massively all this time he'd been trying to run away while Jacques was actually trying to look out for him, like enrolling him into schools and getting him jobs. And despite all that, Jacques in the end even offered to help him go back to Hoshand. And the fact that, you know, it's quite sad that it took him having a massive breakdown for Charles to realise this. Yeah. He was just being a father. Yeah. On, you know, he, he's already suffering from PTSD and, you know, knowing about noise, infidelity and gambling problems. And he's still trying to be a father to someone who's not his biological son and doesn't want to be with him. Yeah. I can imagine that's quite difficult. Yeah. So uh, Charles was called before the magistrate and he pleaded for forgiveness again and the woman withdrew her complaint as well. He was sentenced to six months imprisonment. However, it was suspended under the First Offenders Act. So when Charles was back home with his family, Noy told him that the police took his passport away because he was not a French citizen. And one of the last things that Jacques did before he deteriorated he got Charles a, a laissez-passer instead of a passport, which is like a temporary pass, isn't it? So laissez-passer means to let pass or to let go. And it's it was just a document that allowed them to travel with one journey. Charles received his ticket to Saigon from his father and his laissez-passer was stamped with a temporary visa under nationality. It was written to be determined. So he still had no nationality. He wasn't French, Vietnamese or Indian. And in March 1961, he arrived in Saigon, which had changed a lot since the last time he was there. It had modernised quite a bit. There was Vespers instead of bicycles. I guess the community would have changed as well. I think there were a lot more Americans because it was after all the conflicts that he'd grown up with in his early childhood. So the culture would have been changing as well. Yeah. Charles moved into Hotchin's six-bedroom apartment and he was greeted by four servants and Hotchin's new wife, Chu. Chu was Charles's nursemaid. I don't know if it was Charles's nursemaid or the nursemaid to the previous wife, Gita. I'm pretty sure I read it was Charles's nursemaid. I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. 
But it was quite controversial marrying her, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't a done thing. Yeah. In uh, Indian culture in Vietnam at that point. Yeah, so usually like if a man slept with a nursemaid, she would just be sent off somewhere to have the kid in discretion, but he decided to marry her instead. Hotchand got Charles to enrol in a business school to learn English because he said if you if you're going to end up working for me, you're going to have to learn English and, you know, communicate with my customers. But Charles soon lost interest. He discovered karate instead. And also gambling and girls. One of those three isn't bad. Yeah. (laughs) Depending on which one. (laughs) (laughs) He needed money for these new passions of his and he came up with his first smuggling scheme and he stole from his father to help his new business. Don't think that's what they were teaching him in business school. Yeah, possibly not. Doesn't sound like the right curriculum, does it, for a school? No. When his visa expired, his nationality was still undetermined. And since his mother was Vietnamese and he was born in Saigon, he would have to join the Vietnamese army to get nationality. And Hodgson didn't want this. It went against all of his values. and It's that pride thing again, isn't it? Yeah, pride about his status in, in the community. So he sent Charles to India to learn the dialect and the culture for to get his Indian nationality. But Charles said that he despised India. He, he didn't like the vegetarian food. He couldn't understand the language. And there was, there was no plumbing in the little huts that he was staying in. Yeah, so again, you know, he's, he's, he wants this life of luxury that Hachanda has to offer, but he got sent away to live in, you know, a rural village. What in his, his terms would be squalor. Yeah, yeah, basically. So three weeks later, Charles ran away back to Vietnam this time because he hated India and Hotcham was furious, put Charles back on a boat to Bombay. Charles, he discovered that the boat was actually going to Marseille after Bombay. So he refused to get off at Bombay and he, he knew his mother would be forced to pay the passage. Yeah. He was pretty happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> He's 18 years old at this point and he's back in France and he was on a temporary visitor's visa and he was forbidden to work. So to get money, he started committing petty crimes with increasing jail sentences. There was also threats of deportation, but there was nowhere to deport him to. He had no nationality. Yeah, they couldn't send him to Vietnam and they couldn't send him to India. And I've just got it written that 1964 Chantal Denoyes has Charles' first child. Yeah, so she's she's not mentioned in the Neville book, but she's someone they they knew each other as teenagers. I can't remember where I read it, but they have a child together, Frank. But she's some he does continue seeing her later on, which we'll find out. But yeah, it's not mentioned in the Neville book at all. You you found out about her by chance, didn't you? Yeah, I think I was just, I can't remember where I found it. And then it is true that, you know, she does actually exist because there was uh, another article, I think an India Today article, where she she said that they were friends or something. But it, she's very, she's not mentioned at all in the Neville book and there's not, there's not much information about her. So in 1966, which is kind of around the time that the Neville book starts-ish, Charles meets a man called Felix Desconge. 
can't pronounce the surname. <laughs> we'll call him Felix. Apologies, French speakers. I would pronounce it as Desconge. Desconge. Yeah, I can't remember if the G and E is a. I think it's Desconge. Let's go with that. <laughs> I'm sure I, I looked it up earlier and I can't remember now. But in the Neville book, he's referred to as Alain Bernard, but we'll call him Felix. So Charles meets him while met him while he was serving his prison sentence in Poissy Jail. He had been transferred from another jail after escaping a few months before. Had he stayed in that previous jail for a month longer, he would have been out on parole. But because he made his escape attempt, he was then put in Poissy Jail. In 1968, when he was 24 years old, Felix discovered a law from 1898, which stated that anyone born in Saigon automatically had the right of French citizenship. So Felix, during this time, in those two years, he was really going to lengths to get to know Charles and his history. He went to visit Noy and she gave him all the paperwork she had on Charles. And, you know, he was doing everything he could to help Charles get his nationality. It is funny that he found this law from way back, which said anyone born in Saigon automatically had the right of French citizenship. And, you know, the fact that it took to the point of Charles being 24 years old for someone to figure this out. But to be honest, it doesn't surprise me because French bureaucracy (laughs) is so... You know more about that than I do. It, It doesn't surprise me that no one figured that out earlier, you know, I'm I'm living in France in 2023 and the bureaucracy in this country is an absolute joke but I won't I won't digress I'll just leave it at that so it doesn't surprise me but you know this man Felix he did a lot of digging and he found this this law so after he was released from prison Charles went to live with Felix and soon after that Felix invited Charles to a dinner party And that's where he met another Chantelle, who's Chantelle Compagnon. Her family name's Lemaitre, but she's for some reason called Compagnon. I don't know why. So at this dinner party, Charles became attracted to her and took an interest in her. In their brief introduction, he kind I think he made out that he was studying law. Obviously, he's not going to tell someone straight off, oh, I've just come out of prison. Yeah, I'm a criminal. Nice to meet you. I think the next day... Charles decided to go into Paris to find Chantelle. Um, his court order actually forbade him from entering the inner city arrondissement, but he went in anyway and he decided to find a cafe near her university. So he waited for her there. When he saw her, he acted like they had met by chance and invited her for lunch. After that, he pursued her relentlessly, driving her to her classes in Felix's car, buying expensive gifts and expressing his devotion. So he was basically love bombing her. We'll see how that's a bit of a tactic of his when it comes to seducing women and then basically abusing them. And he does end up having quite a long, complicated relationship with Chantelle, unfortunately. In May that year, he proposed to Chantelle. Her parents, understandably, disapproved of the relationship. Felix was also uncomfortable with Chantel spending more time at his place um, as she was A, unaware of Charles's criminality and B, of his infidelity. One day, Charles took Chantel to Deville in Normandy with the promise of having, a, having dinner at an extravagant casino. 
However, when they got there, Charles started to gamble. At first he was winning, but then he lost more than everything. He took Chantelle's diamond necklace, which was a family heirloom given to her by her mother, to settle his debts with the promise that she would get it back from the pawn shop. On their way home, they picked up a hitchhiker and as they were driving, Charles began ignoring the speed limits and soon after they were being chased by police. Charles crashed into a pole and all three of them were taken to hospital. While waiting for an x-ray, Charles escaped and Chantel was later informed that he was being chased for driving a stolen car. The next day he was arrested. While he was in prison, he swallowed a spoon to be transferred to hospital for surgery because the hospital had longer visiting hours. How do you swallow a spoon? Which end do you start with? What size spoon? I'm hoping it was just a teaspoon. Yeah. But that's that's some determination. He, he's, he's swallowing a spoon. <laughs> it's just a spoon. Yeah, not just a spoonful of sugar, an actual spoon. Just a spoon, a bit like a metal object. And forcing his body to require surgery is quite extreme, all for the sake of having longer visiting hours. <laughs> he's quite extreme. So at this point, Chantelle, she learns, um, I don't think she learns everything, but she learns some of, about some of Charles's criminal past. And even though Felix warned her that he was deemed to be compulsively rebellious and un- unable to learn from his past, Chantelle still wanted to marry him. Charles didn't appreciate Felix getting, trying to get involved in the relationship, so he wrote him a letter basically saying, stay out of my life, stay away from Chantelle. And again, it's, it's that abusive aspect where he's turning on anyone who questions his relationships and questions Chantel's devotion to him. Yeah, because I'm not going to say too much. <laughs> <laughs> so he was sentenced to six months in prison. And while he was in prison this time around, he studied characterology based on the teachings of René Le Sen and Gaston Berger. So I, I tried to look into this. And there's not that much information. There's a French Wikipedia page explaining what it is. It didn't make much sense to me. But in the Neville book, it's described as being the antithesis to what Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung were teaching. But anyway, Charles, he he studies this and he decides to practice it on other prisoners. Doesn't he compare himself to Napoleon? Yes, at one point. Yeah, by using this characterology study. Yeah, yeah, he did. He was passionate, but he was able to to think logically. Yeah. While he was in prison, he also started to practice Buddhism. And I think that part of that was to disregard, you know, Felix's way of life because Felix was a Christian. So Charles, you know, he didn't want anything to do with Felix. Therefore, he didn't want anything to do with like the idea of God. So he started to practice Buddhism. But he, he believed God was inside of himself. Yes which is, you know, the narcissist in him. Because I don't think that's what Buddhism is about, really. Not the way Charles was, you know, going about it. Five months after he was released from jail, Charles and Chantal marry. On the eve of their wedding, Chantal de Noyes had her second child with Charles. She had a daughter called Muriel Anouk. So it's obvious that Charles was being unfaithful to Chantel, even, I was going to say even to that day, but it would have been nine months before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Duh. Um, <laughs> so four months after getting married, Charles was getting bored of steady work and having to visit the police station, which was a condition of his release. So he decided that he needed to, I'm doing air quotes, borrow cash, make an interest on it and returned what he owed so he could fulfill his fantasy of starting a new life in Asia with Chantelle. His sister Nicole managed a restaurant which was owned by her wealthy boyfriend. So Charles went to the restaurant one day to tell her that her son was seriously hurt when actually his nephew was perfectly safe at school. But he told Nicole that he was in in trouble. So he drove Nicole to his apartment and locked her there. Then he drove back to the restaurant and got her handbag and the receipts from the cash register. Using the receipts, he was able to forge her signature on checks and he withdrew 6,000 francs. He then went to a casino to try and get his interest on the money, but he ended up losing everything. Why does he keep gambling? He's really bad at it. I guess it's an addiction and it's that thing, it's that compulsion. He wants a quick fix. He, he wants to get rich quickly. But he should take up like pottery or life drawing classes. I don't think they had uh, big returns but in those days. But, you know, I mean, this is the thing. His, both his biological father and his stepfather, they were trying to nurture his education as best as they could. And he, he was bored of it because he didn't want to do, he didn't want to play the long game. He just wanted a quick fix. And it's, I think it's also that obsession with leading a luxurious life. So part of the reason why he kept wanting to go back to Vietnam was because he wanted to live in that wealthy environment. And I guess with gambling, if you can win and not lose everything, you can live a luxurious lifestyle. And it's obviously part of his, I don't want to say disorder, but it's, it's, it's part of who he is. Like he just His has personality. Yeah. Yeah. He just, ha- he can't help himself. He has to try and find the quickest way of earning money, which we'll later go into in the, in the next episode. Like it escalates to more serious crimes, but for now it's, you know, gambling without any fatalities. So Charles was put in prison. The judge deemed the crime to be a family me- matter And Charles could have been released, but Nicole refused to withdraw her complaint. Good on her. Yeah, rightfully so. Chantelle revealed to Charles that she was pregnant to try and cheer him up, but this just made him despair even more. Felix was away during this time and Chantelle was trying to contact him, begging for his help. When he eventually came back from, I think it was a business trip, he, he managed to convince Nicole to withdraw her complaint and Charles was released. In June, a couple of months later, Hochand visited Paris and it would be the first time that he he and Charles would have seen each other in eight years. So another massive gap since the last time they saw each other. Charles wanted to impress his father, so he took him to expensive jewellers and made extravagant purchases. And there was one purchase where he bought a very, I think it was a watch or a bracelet, and he wanted Hochand to pretend that he was the one gifting it to Chantel to impress her. He also revealed to his father that he wanted to move to Asia, but Hachand warned him that Saigon was on the brink of bankruptcy. While Hachand and Chantel were talking, Charles excused himself, pretending to go off to a business meeting. He actually went back to Felix's apartment to start packing. The money he had cashed out that day were from checks on an account he had opened with a token deposit. So by the following Monday, or that Monday approaching, the checks would have bounced and the fraud would have been discovered. 
while Chantel and Pachand were talking, he mentioned the purchases that Charles had made that day. And Chantel realised what Charles was up to and she started to worry. So when they went back to the apartment, she confronted Charles, but he managed to convince her to pack her bags too. Hachand was still unaware of what was going on. And the next day, they all went to Geneva together and said goodbye to Hachand. The police then became aware of the fraud and so did Hachand. And if he had left any later, he would have been arrested too. So I think he wrote to Charles warning him, you know, I've been told by the police that they're looking for you. Yeah, they're on to you. Yeah, like don't come to Vietnam. Because the BNP bank in Saigon had been informed and they informed the consulate general and the immigration office had an order to arrest Chantel and Charles and send them back to France if they entered the country. Yeah, so from Switzerland, they travelled to Bombay, don't they? Yeah. So it took them about three months to get to Bombay and Chantel gave birth to Madhu on November the 15th. But she spent most of her time with Madhu inside the house with a nurse while Charles went on and did his illegal business trips. He was supplying wealthy people with high brand consumer goods. They were goods that they couldn't otherwise get because of the government's import bans. When a visitor was leaving India at that time without luxury goods that they came in with, they had to pay the full value in customs tax. So Charles used a lot of disguises and false passports to bypass this. So he he must have had to change his look for a lot of passports. Yeah. And he was at this point where he said that Western travellers were like an untapped resource because he would steal their passports or get passports on the black market. Yeah, right. It was easy to counterfeit a passport back then as well. Yeah. So at this time, Charles had an affair with an Indian girl who became pregnant as well. So he's continuing his illicit affairs. And Chantal, unfortunately, is still staying loyal to him. But at this point, you know, she's basically trapped. She's in a, in a foreign country with a baby. Yeah. What, what is she supposed to do? Yeah. So in April, Charles took Chantal to Hong Kong and Macau for their honeymoon and to celebrate their new wealth from his illegal business dealings. He starts to gamble again there, and he won a quarter of a million Hong Kong dollars, but he lost it all. Again, why, why does he gamble, honestly? <laughs> he cleaned out all of his savings as well and was in debt to a Chinese moneylender. And Chantel had to remain alone on the island as security while Charles went back to Bombay to borrow money from his business partner. Yeah, and that, that ruins the partnership with this business partner as well, doesn't it? Because it's quite shame. Well, it was a risk to his business partner. Well, yeah. Why, why would you want to be connected with a criminal if you're an Ill- a legit person? Yeah, but also someone who's got a gambling problem. Yeah, right. And now you're having to, and now you're having to lend them money to get them out of their gambling situation. So, and I think in the book, you know, Chantel's like, why, why did, why didn't you just stop? And he, he comes up with some rubbish like, oh, I was thinking we could get this, we could get like a house with this money, then a car. And surely the money that they had at that point was enough, but to him it's not enough. So he just has, had to ca- like carry on gambling until it was too late. So in 1971, in, in November, Madhu turned one and Charles went to Delhi with the promise of making $10,000 in a gems deal. 
But he actually robbed a jewellery store and was arrested. And this was the Ashoka jewellery store that got robbed. It involved a flamenco dancer. And I've highlighted a, a passage in the book. The blonde flamenco dancer had been held in her room for three days while Charles tried to drill a hole through the floor to the jewellery shop below. The drill broke, so he had forced the terrified dancer to entice the shop manager up to the room with his best jewels. Then Charles tied him up in the bathroom. The beautiful flamenco dancer had fallen under the power of Charles's personality, claimed the story. He was a gentleman jewel thief, part of an international organisation, he told her. But did you read a, a different story in the Hawk and Hyena book? Yeah, so in the Hawk and Hyena, he says that he actually seduced the flamenco dancer and she was helping him. He didn't have to threaten her or coerce her. He was having an affair with her and she did it willingly, apparently. That's what he tells Farouk Dondi in um, The Hawk and Hyena. He fled from that jewellery store with $10,000 worth of diamonds. Yeah. So he wasn't completely lying when he said that he was going to go back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining him dropping the diamonds like the Hansel Gretel trail. Yeah. So he, he goes to prison after that. He's, a, he's arrested. He, he fakes symptoms of appendicitis so he could get out of jail. And it worked and he was operated on. The surgeon must have been like, what are you doing? There's nothing wrong with this man. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. And again, it's like such an extreme thing to go through just because he doesn't want to serve his time in prison. Yeah. Rather be butchered. Yeah. When Chantel visited him, uh, he got her to help him escape from the prison hospital. He obstructed the handcuff on his ankle. He folded up the bed sheet so that it was between the an his ankle and the, the handcuff so he could easily slip out. He then pretended that he had gone to sleep. So Chantel distracted the other guards and when the lights were turned off in his room, he escaped. But he was caught near Delhi Railway Station and they were both arrested. Chantel then arranged for her own bail using an Indian lawyer. And there were rumours that Delhi would be bombed because of the Indo-Pakistani conflict, which was sparked by the Bangladeshi Liberation War. And she was worried about Madhu's safety. So she had arranged with another woman who was flying to Europe for Madhu to be taken back to her grandparents in Paris while Chantelle stayed behind for Charles. Like, I keep wondering what kind of story she must have told this woman. Yeah, and also... The fact that her getting arrested and Charles getting arrested and Charles having, you know, committing all these illegal activities, that's not enough for her to worry about her daughter's safety. But the fact that potential war is enough for her to worry about her, her child's safety. And then on top of that, she decides to stay with Charles, which, you know, I, I don't know, like he obviously has this power over her that she, she will stay loyal to him. She's so in love with him. Despite everything that he's done. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's kind of what you would probably see in a lot of abusive relationships where he did all that love bombing in the beginning and planted that seed that, you know, he's the one for her or whatever. And then he's just dragging her through all this crap. But he's gaslighting her as well. Yeah. And putting her life at risk and her, you know, and their daughter's life. I mean, come on, they travelled to Bombay while she was heavily pregnant. And then, you know, the fact that she had to be left on the island on her own 
away from her daughter because he couldn't handle his gambling addiction. It's just really sad that, but in a way, at least it's good that Madhu was sent away to live with her grandparents who had the capacity to look after her and give her a stable home, which she, you know, she needed. Yeah. Then in uh, January 1972, Charles was granted bail and both him and Chantel fled the country. And then in June of that year, they were they arrived in Kabul in Afghanistan. By the July, they were jailed on charges of failing to pay a hotel bill, stealing a rented car and attempting to cross the border illegally. Charles then duplicated symptoms of a peptic ulcer to get out of jail again. Surprise, surprise. I know. In the hospital, he spiked the guard's tea with sleeping pills and escaped. He got the sleeping pills from one of the nurses. He pretended that he couldn't sleep. He was in too much pain. Yeah, and then he was like stashing them, wasn't he? That he managed to change his clothes and found two French travellers to drive him into the Pakistan border. He then found a van full of travellers heading to India and convinced them to hide him to cross the border. And um, they were quite inventive with the, the hiding place for him. To get the, the sympathies, he, he told them that he'd been arrested for having drugs and that he'd been persecuted. But they actually hid him on top of their van, rolled up in a Persian carpet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why did that not make the series? Don't know. I mean, that's the thing. The series really just focuses from like 1975 onwards. It does have a little bit of a flashback to his relationship with Chantel. But there's all these funny little details <laughs> that it, it leaves out. Yeah. So 16 days later, he was back in France, despite still being sought after for defrauding. He wanted to take back Madhu to Afghanistan to see Chantel. So he cases Chantel's parents' house and he, he waited for his father-in-law to leave before knocking on the door and Chantel's mother answered the door and he said that Chantel was sick and in Paris and that she wanted to see Madhu and Chantel's mother agreed to go with him and Madhu to the Hilton Hotel where he he pretended that Chantel was being seen by a doctor. The room that he had, he, he registered it under a student's name whose passport he had stolen in Pakistan. So still stealing those uh, passports. Yeah. He ordered room service and got breakfast for Chantel's mother and he spiked the coffee with sleeping pills. After Chantel's mother collapsed, he took Madhu and headed for the Swiss border. Didn't he also leave like a do not disturb sign on the door when he left? Yeah. Yeah. It took him three weeks to travel from France to Asia. During this period, he managed to survive a, a five car pileup in the Swiss Alps. The police escorted him and Madhu to the hospital, but they were both fine. They weren't injured or anything. At the Yugoslav border, Madhu urinated on his passport and his picture came unstuck. So the border guards there were a bit suspicious. And so they decided to search the car and found dozens of fake passports and a set of radio microphones. And then he was placed under house arrest. But he was, he was placed under house arrest in a hotel. Yeah, didn't seem very secure. And uh, he managed to escape there through the kitchen staff door. With Matu. So he got a, a taxi from there to Belgrade and then he was smuggled into Trieste by some tourists that he had met on, on his journey. He bought 
passports on the black market in Rome and flew to Rawalpindi in that's in Pakistan. Pakistan, yeah. There he hired a car with a driver called Mohammed Habib and drove to Peshawar near the Afghan border. There he he hired a British nurse called Marilyn in the Neville and Clark book. Marilyn um, looked after Madhu and accompanied Charles to Pakistan, where he also planned to use her to get Chantelle out of jail. While she looked after Madhu, he bought syringes, a bottle of Lagactyl, and packets of Mogadon and Mandrix uh, on the markets there. And he drugged the driver, Mohammed, and put him in the boot of the car. He then found a young girl called Diana and offered her a ride in his air-conditioned car to Tehran. She was a, a traveller, wasn't she? She didn't really have a nice room to stay in at that time. So yeah, having an air-conditioned car must have felt like heaven for her <laughs> yeah. at that point. He drives them all towards Dara and he stopped in a secluded stretch of the desert to dump the drug driver. But when he opened the boot, he discovered that Mohammed was dead. Diana then got out of the car and saw the dead driver and Charles bought her silence with fear and made her help him dump the body in a river before continuing their journey to Iran. When they got to Iran, to implicate Diana further, Charles got her to spike a tourist drink in the Intercontinental Hotel. Charles robbed the tourist's room. He stole valuables and passports. The next day, Diana ran away. Charles stayed because he convinced himself that he could bribe the police if they came uh, looking for him. The next day, he was in his hotel room and he was visited by the Savat, the, the Shah's secret police. They found a, a briefcase in his room. Charles pretended it was like jammed shut, that he couldn't open it. Yeah. And the Savak were like threatening to blast it open with their guns. So it was like two can play at this game. Yeah. So Charles just opened the case at that point, which held counterfeited passports and stolen valuables. And the Savak asked him which passport was his. And he said, that's difficult to say. Yeah. It just sounds quite comical, to be fair. Diana had spent the night with an Iranian who was a Savak agent, it turned out, and Diana told him about the passports that Charles had. And the agent was concerned that Charles would supply these passports to the anti-Shah underground, who I guess they were fighting against at that point. Yeah, I guess so. Charles gave the names of two Iranian anti-Shah activists to the Savak and was handed over to the civilian court. Diana reported the death of the car driver to Interpol. So Charles was wanted for his abduction and murder. Um, but Mohammed's body was never found. And he was a 35-year-old father of three. Did you want to say something about the driver now? Yeah. So in The Hawk and Hyena, Chantelle tells Farouk Dondi that she was actually with Charles when they hired Mohammed Habib. So she wasn't in prison at this point and she, she was apparent, allegedly in the car with Charles and Mohammed. They got to the Afghan border and Mohammed didn't want to drive any further. He wanted to go back home to his family, which is quite understandable. And according to Chantel, Charles agreed and turned back and they stopped at somewhere for tea in a remote location. And that's when he spiked Mohammed's tea and drugged him and put him in the car. And then when they were going to dump his body, they found him dead. So there's no denying that Mohammed was killed. 
And Chantelle says that she was the one that helped Charles dispose of the body. And she said that they burnt the body and that it was never found. So it's kind of, it kind of completely changes what's in the Neville book. Because here in, in the Neville book, he's making this journey to go back to Afghanistan to try and break Chantelle out of prison and reunite with her and Madhu. But what she's t- saying to Far- um, Farouk Dondi is she was with him. So it doesn't make sense what part of that journey was. Like, were they both fleeing somewhere? Were they both traveling somewhere together? Where was she in prison in that, in that timeline that she's talking about? But at the same time, who's telling the truth? Yeah. Because that could be another story that he's spun her to tell other people. Possibly. We don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to say, but it's 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 a massive change because that means Marilyn and Diana, these two girls don't exist. Yeah, right. And it means that the whole situation with the Savak didn't happen. Yes, yeah, it's, it's unclear, but we'll stick with the Neville story for now. So in prison, Chantel learned that Charles had been arrested and Madhu was sent back to her grandparents. So and Charles was wanted in France and Pakistan for various charges. Chantel then wrote to Felix, pleading for his help. So in 1973, Chantel was then released on bail and had to pay a $1,000 fine before she was allowed to leave Afghanistan. Because of the, the process for transferring money internationally, it took her parents three months to be able to send her the money to Afghanistan. During these three months, she befriended an antiques dealer from New York. She later moved to America with this guy, taking Madhu while suing Charles for divorce while he was in prison in Iran. And we'll talk more about this guy in a later episode because we find out a bit more about him in the Hawk and Hyena book. In October, Charles completed his year-long sentence in Iran. Even though he was wanted by police in eight countries, he was driven to the Turkish border and given a laissez-passer. There's no explanation as to why he was given this, but we're assuming it's because he might have given them some intelligence in exchange. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it was because he gave the names names of the people working under the anti-Shah to the Savak. Yeah. I think he, he must have made a deal with them. Yeah. In November, Guy, Charles's half-brother, met him in Istanbul. And it was the first time they had seen each other since 1968 when Charles had just got, gotten out of Kwasi jail. It was also the first time that Guy had left France or been on an aeroplane, apart from the time when they briefly lived in Senegal. Charles promised Guy a new life and to show him how he worked. During this time, Guy also mentioned to Charles that Chantal visited them with Matu in Paris before she left for America, and she admitted that she was still in love with Charles. Charles and Guy then met an American couple who were wealthy boutique owners. They had a lot of cash and a lot of jewels on them. While they were having, I think it was dinner or drinks with the couple, they drugged the man's drink while his partner went back to the hotel room. So they dragged the man through several nightclubs and a cinema. When they returned to his hotel, pretending that he'd had too many drinks when he was actually drugged, Charles instructed Guy to distract the woman while Charles robbed the man, pretending to help him as he was too drunk. But the man, he wasn't completely incapacitated and realised what was happening. So he started to shout and then his partner realised what was happening and panic ensued. 
and the two brothers subdued both victims with syringes and then they robbed them of as much as they could. Didn't Charles get to know them through the casino? He, he had a contact in the casino who had told them about this couple who had been gambling and they had all sorts of jewels. and They had like 30k worth of jewels on them, didn't they? Yeah. Because they robbed the safe in the reception area as well, didn't they, belonging to the couple? Yes, yeah. So the, the brothers checked out of their hotel and went straight to the airport. Charles gave Guy $1,000 and instructed him to go to Athens while he attended to business in Copenhagen, Spain and Rome. He then joined Guy a week later. By this point, Guy was, he was bored in Athens. There was a curfew and he was running low on money. When Charles turned up, he turned up with a, a new girlfriend who believed that Charles was a successful businessman. Guy was angry at Charles for leaving him for so long and for giving him a short share of his money. But instead of giving him the money that he owed, Charles instructed Guy to have a go at his own job. So off Guy went and four hours later, he phoned Charles to say he had successfully drugged a man and stole stolen cash from him. Charles was impressed by this, so he instructed Guy to do an even bigger job. He wanted Guy to take a case filled with passports to Lebanon. Guy agreed, but he wanted to go a day earlier than Charles wanted him to because he was so bored of Athens. Charles reluctantly agreed. And then at the airport, while Guy was waiting at the departure lounge, the guy that he had actually robbed the day before was getting the same flight and recognised Guy. And he started crying out saying, this is the guy that robbed me. So the security and, and police turned up and Guy was arrested. The police found passports in his case and they also found sophisticated walkie-talkies that were, they were like more high-tech than what the Greek military used. I wonder where he got them from. Yeah. Maybe the Savak. Maybe, or some sort of black market that he, he knew. While he was imprisoned, he was tortured quite severely until he could no, no longer hold it in and he revealed who he was working with and said that he was working with Charles Sabraj, his brother. An hour later, Charles was thrown into the same cell. While they were in the cell, Charles suggested that the brothers swap identities so he could be released and then break Guy out. Guy very naively agreed, unaware that Charles had already been arrested in Greece in 1971 after robbing tourists to recoup his losses from a gambling spree. He escaped at the police station and was sentenced to 13 months in jail in absentia. The brothers were taken to Corydalus jail and during the year-long sentence, Charles made several attempts to escape, as usual. In 1975, Charles is 31 years old at this point, the prison authorities realised the influence Charles had over other prisoners. So the, they transferred him to a high security prison on the island of, I don't know how to pronounce that. Agena. Agena. If anyone knows the correct pronunciation or knows that we're saying something wrong, please, please let us know. <laughs> so two months later, he faked the symptoms of a peptic ulcer to get himself transferred to a hospital in Athens. Oh, surprise, surprise. Oh, no. Didn't he use um, a syringe to draw blood and then he would swallow that and then vomit it back up? Yeah. I mean, it, it must say something about the doctors that were available at these prisons because they're obviously not doing, you know, 
they're obviously falling for his fake illnesses and then just sending him off to hospital. So while he was in hospital, he had a friend who was recovering from appendicitis, not fake appendicitis, I think. And the friend knew a nurse who smuggled in angle wire, a pistol and petrol for them. That was Mary Ellen Ether, who, yeah. who we'll mention later on. Yes. So in the van journey from Athens back to the island... Charles's first plan was to drug the guards with offerings of laced chocolates. So they'd actually gone to, through the effort of melting the chocolates, spiking them, and then remolding them. I mean, this all sounds very sophisticated. However, the guards declined to eat the chocolates. So then Charles had to move on to plan B. He managed to somehow cut his chains with the angle wire. He then poured petrol from a shampoo bottle on news. How is he carrying all of this anyway? Yeah, do they not search them? I don't know. This is like some, do you remember that movie, Con Air? <laughs> it's like Con Air, some kind of Con Air shit. Anyway, he then poured petrol from a shampoo bottle onto newspaper, lit, lit it with a match, so the whole van filled with flames. Initially, the guards jumped out and closed the doors on the prisoners, but when the prisoners started banging and shouting, obviously, they opened the doors. Amongst the commotion where, when the prisoners fell onto the guards, Charles jumped out and he managed to disappear. Also on his persons, he had a beard and a moustache hidden in his jacket. It was made by his own hair, wasn't it? Yeah. He made it in jail. Oh my God. Anyway. There's no, there's no end to this guy's talent. No. <laughs> I know. So, you know, obviously the guards pursued him at first, but then he hid, put on his disguise and he managed to get away from the guards. He made his way to the north of Greece where he stole a passport and then he travelled to Turkey before boarding a flight to Delhi with another stolen passport. And that is the end of that part of his story. And it's just started. I mean, some of it, it, it could be in a movie. Yeah, I'm surprised it hasn't been made into a movie. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there has been, aside from the Netflix production, The Serpent, there was like a Bollywood production, but I don't, I think that was his time in Tihar Jail, which is much, much later. There was also apparently a series in Australia, but I don't know what that covered. Yeah, that, that started with the escape in the, in the van, I think. Right. It starts, it starts Art Malik. Okay. Who's a, a very well-known actor in the UK? Don't know who he is actually. Art Malik. I'm going to Google it now. <laughs> I'm sure he was in uh, Goodness Gracious Me for a couple of episodes. Ah, oh, okay. Yes, I do recognise him. Yeah, he looks nothing like Charles, but okay. I guess he's brown. <laughs> that feels the brief. There you go. Tick. Okay. No, I do know him. I can't remember what I've seen him in, but I recognise him now. But I mean, this is already quite a chaotic start to life. He's only 31 years old at this point as well. I know. That's crazy. He's done more in his life than I have. And I'm 30. Don't say it. Don't say it. (laughs) But then during this time, they also realised that Guy and Charles actually swapped their identities. And I think Guy, he had to serve like over two years in prison. Yeah, right. Would you do that for any of your siblings? No, but I mean, it just, like, Guy obviously looked up to him as this older brother. He obviously saw something 
like admirable. And, you know, this whole beginning to his criminal activities just goes to show he doesn't really care about anyone but himself. He's happy to throw anyone under the bus and he'll say anything to convince them otherwise. And even his own siblings, like he robs his sister and then he puts his brother in jail or tries to get his brother to serve a longer sentence. And he takes his daughter at one years old from her grandparents' house in Paris all the way to Afghanistan. And that's the other thing. It's like completely disregarding what her own mother has done. Her own mother sent her back to Paris for her safety and security. And he's like, nah, fuck that. I want you guys together. <laughs> I'm going to go get her back. That, that's what makes me wonder if he's actually using her as some kind of bait or some kind of way to get across the borders easily because he has a child. Possibly, but it's also, it could be that, you know, he obviously has this image in his head of what he wants his life to be. It's completely unrealistic, but he's trying to obtain it regardless of the consequences. Because he he wants to be like his father, but the only way he can get to that point is by doing crime. In his eyes, yeah. And, you know, he's implicating Chantel, his wife, the mother of his child, in these crimes as well. It's just absolute chaos. So. That's what we've learned. <laughs> chaos. <laughs> Thanks for today's lesson. Yeah. So coming up in the next episode, we discuss his time as the gem dealer under the alias Alain Gauthier and his relationship with Marie-André Leclerc and his victims. Yeah, his numerous victims. His numerous victims. The next episode is basically what the Netflix show covers. We'll explain what the hippie trial is as well. Yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find more information about the show on our website at feloniouspod.com or on our Instagram at feloniouspod. Links to our show notes can be found in the episode description as well as through our website and social media. You can visit our contact us page and tell us what you think about the show and if there are any cases you would like us to cover. We hope you join us for the next episode. Goodbye. Bye.